Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman. If you met David King in a Lexington, Kentucky grocery store, casually shopping the aisles for cereal or other products that might please his two young children, you might not guess that he could possibly be one of Kentucky's most prolific writers and historians of our times. David King is the author of four books, Finding Atlantis, A True Story of Genius, Madness, and the Extraordinary Quest for a Lost World, Vienna, 1814, Death in the City of Light, and his 2017 bestseller, The Trial of Adolf Hitler, The Beer Hall Puts and the Rise of Nazi Germany. David is a native Kentuckian from Woodford County, a graduate of the University of Kentucky, has a master's from Cambridge, uh, was a Fulbright scholar in Sweden, where he researched his first book, Finding Atlantis, taught European history at the University of Kentucky, and now writes full-time due to the success of his writing career. So David, uh, it is indeed a pleasure to have you uh, on our podcast today. Wow, wow, thank you. It's my pleasure. You um, are, in a way a important figure um, nationally, internationally, and of course here in Kentucky too. But I would also have to ask you, is it true that you can sort of come and go in Lexington, Kentucky without uh, having uh, autograph seekers uh, chasing you down or a, a camera putting a microphone in your face uh, uh, at this point in your career? Oh, wow. Wow. Thank you, first of all. Yes, that is that is very much true. I, um, yeah, I... Um, I think I have friends that probably don't even know that I that I write. <laughs> I think my neighbors wonder sometimes for for a long time when we first moved in why are these you know, UPS and FedEx trucks show up? But and he's hanging out at his house all day. What is he up to? <laughs> but yeah, that is um that that is true. It's, it's it's more the exception when someone recognizes me that I don't already know. I think which it has happened, but it's like oh wow, thank you. <laughs> uh, do you uh, you do all of your writing at home? Do you have a particular place that you write? Yes, I, I, I write at home. I love the idea of writing in a cafe, but it would not work. I get too distracted. I'd end up talking the whole time. And when I was at UK, I, I always thought I'd go in, I'd, I'd be in my office, but I would never get anything done. I'd just be talking and having fun. So I have to kind of close myself up, and that's, that's when I get the most work done. So it's almost, that, that's work, and then so I work at home, I write at home, but if I... I go out is more social. <laughs> We're going to talk about um, uh, your writing and, and, and where you write and, and your research and that sort of thing, but that, that sort of begs the question of uh, your all of your work is so uh, deeply researched, and um, I, I, I know because we're going to talk about some of the detail of, of how you, you find your stories. Uh, do, do you, while you're at home, have you already accumulated that uh, research and then you're just writing at home or do you still use uh, Google and, and, and the internet for a lot of your work? Um, I, I love the research pro process. That's probably my, I mean, I, I love digging in and trying to figure out what happened and try to get it as right as I possibly can. And I'll be researching 
I could do very little at home actually for the research. I mean, I usually have to go uh, to the archives, uh, which is my favorite part, going in and getting the actual documents and, uh, you know, for finding Atlanta's 17th century letters. And I read everything that existed that is known. And a few things we didn't know that we found. I mean, letters from the Queen and Queen Christina. And that, that's my favorite part. Um, but I, I do use the, the web and, and always looking for things and, uh, and for secondary sources. I, um, I love books, I read books. Of, Books are coming all the time. I, I ordered three yesterday from from Europe, and uh, they're, they're coming all the time. And so, so I, I'm able to use that as well. But before the real meat of it, I always have to go like to, to Munich, or if it was for the Germany book, or, or or Sweden, or Vienna, Paris. And so, let's uh, talk about your your growing up uh, in uh, in Woodford County, and uh, uh, what kind of uh, kid you were, and. And what uh, did you read then? Uh, what sort of uh, books did you have uh, in front of you? Well, you know, I, um, I, I've always loved reading. I haven't always been the best student in the world. I was not, uh, uh, what you call it, a stellar student until uh, my senior year in high school when I realized I needed to start getting serious. Uh, I uh, was more just having fun. And my parents, uh, I, I, as a parent now, I'm not sure how they were able to do it, but it's <laughs> incredible that, that they were able to just kind of let me find my own way. I, I think I, I think about that a lot when, with, with my kids, but that's, that worked out really well for me. I think if they sat down and, I mean, I, I thought when I was, uh, it sounds crazy, um, up until uh, probably my, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, junior, senior year in high school that I would, you know, do basketball or wrestling or something crazy like that. And I remember one time a teacher asked me, he said, uh, that's great, but what are you going to do if that doesn't work out? And the thought had never crossed my mind. I was like, that's a good question. And uh, so, it was, it, but my senior year, I, and I mean, a lot of it, I mean, I ended um, getting much more serious. And in UK, like the honors program, has some fabulous professors that just showed me how much fun this really was. And I, and I was like, this is, this is fantastic. And so then I started learning, and I love learning. I love reading. So that was uh, one of the best things that ever happened to me was... Um, like the UK University of Kentucky is an undergraduate. Did you have in high school a, a particular uh, teacher or mentor that that said, you know, it's time to get serious? Uh, uh, well, I, yes, I had, I had a f- wonderful teachers in high school at, at Woodford County. They were, um, and the thing is, my, my great my, my scores are really high on the uh, you know the what are the ACT. Or, mm-hmm. So I, I I got in you know got nice deals that way. Yeah, but my, but my, I just didn't study. I never studied. I never really saw the but, but, you know, I had a history, it was a history class, actually. Yeah. It was one of the, in a, in a speech class um, that I took at um, Woodford County that really helped. And I had a media class, and, and it started getting much more fun. I started seeing the relevance. I think when I saw the relevance and I saw how important things, you know, the value that it had, it made a big difference. I actually wanted to learn as opposed to, you know, I, I never really cared about the grades. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I, I can think back in high school, you know, if, you know I mean, it meant nothing, but... Cause, but but it, which is kind of consistent because um, like in, my grades were very high in my college and, and so on, but again it was never about the yeah. grade. It just switched being more about being fun and value. When did you discover that you loved history? I, I would say I, I've always I mean as elementary school I've always loved reading about history. I mean you know, I remember as elementary you know the exploration, uh, the Napoleons always I've always enjoyed Napoleon. Um, the, the wars, uh, the presidents, although I'm more European history. 
Uh, so I say it goes way back um, as far as like enjoying history. I've just enjoyed it more and more and more um, because it's a lot of the times in history, I think you really could not make this up. Mm. If you tried to make this up, an editor would sit you down and say, no, no, no one's ever going to believe this. I'm going to say that by every book I've written, it's like, you'd have to change it because <laughs> this would never happen, they would say. But it did happen. And that's, and I think that's, and that's one reason why I also love fiction because a great fiction can do so much um, because they, they have these constraints. But, 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 but history, you know, is because the things that happen are just almost, uh, we see it now. I mean, every day we see this a lot more. Uh, so, but it's just hard to make things up because it's just the way human nature is. Was there a particular uh, a professor or a moment that you remember when you first uh, went to the University of Kentucky which um, sort of said, this, this is something I really would like to do and maybe, maybe I, I can do this the rest of my life. I can, be, I, I can someday be a professor. Yes, definitely. Yes, there were uh, so many wonderful teachers. Uh, I, I, three of them, I, I will, um, like Raymond Betts, um, who was a history professor. It was phenomenal. I mean, he, he is the, the model of what, in my view, a professor can be. He was just so well-educated, so cultured. Um, he would come in and give a talk. He would be dazzling. Um, and, and again, we were, you know, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, pretty critical and, you know, a little, little rebellious, you know, not, easy, not, the, not the easiest audience, but we would all be just like swooning. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. And I mean, that was, he was always, a, he was incredible. I'm actually, every book I write, I always say there'll be, a, there, there is a reference. I thank you to Dr. Betts, uh, David Ulster, another uh, historian, uh, Jane Vance um, taught me, I've never had a write. I mean, everything I learned from writing, I remember she sat me down and said, you know, these ideas are great, but remember, uh, you need to have a subject and a verb for a sentence. And I was, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, so I, you really, I mean, you didn't bring a, or did you, a, a natural talent for writing, which is another area I want to talk about later, because I, in your your uh, vita, your, your resume, uh, you, you didn't go to graduate school uh, in writing. You don't have an MFA. Uh, so, so Jane Vance, Jane Gentry Vance, uh, uh, who just passed away uh, within the last couple of years, a poet laureate, a wonderful uh, poet and an English uh, teacher. Uh, she's the one that really uh, guided you in your writing skill. I cannot say enough. To thank to thank her, I mean, because she uh, she was one that t told me about the honors program from the first place and said, you know, I was on a mock trial team in high school with, with her daughter, and you know, we and that that was that was wonderful because we were it was like for high school we we went up to like the state champion or whatever, and it was um, and that was great because you could just make things up on the spot, and so I I kind of liked that, and uh, and she was like, you know, she, she taught in the honors program, said, have you considered that and um, and it was, it was magic. That program was, was phenomenal. And she's incredible influence. So yeah, I credit a lot. Uh, I mean, because I, I write, I write fast. I still write very fast. Um, but she, she told me, you know, certain just, you know, just think subject, verb. Um, oh, okay. I get it. And then, and you also have commented on, um, you, telling stories 
which of course is uh, near and dear to uh, our uh, Kentucky Humanities theme of telling Kentucky's story. Um, you, you want you want these uh, this deeply researched uh, pieces on 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 history that that you have discovered or somebody has led you to. You want it to be readable. Therefore, you want it to be in a story form that 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 is comfortable for the, the lay reader. The it's it you're you're not writing for academics necessarily, are you? Well, that's, that's a good good question. I, um, I I try to do all the research that I can do to try to make it the most research book that has existed. On I, I try to do all the research that I would do for a scholarly book. But you write, but tell it in a way that I think um, is true to the story. If the story is dramatic and you're not telling a dramatic story, how true are you being to the story in a way? Because some stories, I mean, I, I, don't, don't, don't get me wrong, I love reading um, analytical you know, monographs as well. Yeah. They, they really have a, an important place in advancing knowledge. And um, that, that's a different market. Um, that, that was where I was originally trained because that's where I thought I was going to be. Because that's why I, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be, that was... My first, yeah. that's when I'm in school. Uh, but it, but it's, it's a different market. For this, I mean, you, you're writing more for, you're writing for, for that audience as well. And that's one of the challenges that, that I uh, um, encounter. You're writing for that audience as well as, um, say, you know, a very, you know, an intelligent reader who may not know everything there is to know about, say, Hitler. Mm. Uh, but but it's, it's interesting. And so you, you so that's one of the challenges I think for like uh, for narrative nonfiction, is is trying to make it work. So I usually don't think about that. I usually just just try to just tell the story, just do all the research and tell it the tell it the way you think it happened as best as you possibly can. Did you learn that uh, in um, at, at UK as an undergrad? Did did it come natural to you the the ability to sit down and and tell a story? Um, yeah. You know, I, 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 when I taught at UK, I, I tried to incorporate that more. I don't think it was, I, I think a lot of times the, the history training is geared more towards the research and the monographs. Um, and it's in its own department. And you have the, the writing department maybe on a different floor with a different crew. And... Hmm. I don't know if there, at least maybe it's changed, but like in England, there wasn't a whole lot of um, probably collaboration. Hasn't, probably hasn't changed. Um, but that's a, that's a really important point. That's a key point that uh, for history to be read and understood by more than just a particular, maybe smallish segment of, of the reading public, uh, it does have to be uh, readable and, and in story form. That's a that's an excellent point. And it, 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 it could be it could be difficult that way too because you know sometimes I wish I could just throw it out on the page. Just but you know if you do it that way, it's not. I mean, it's, it's pacing becomes more of an issue and getting everything you want to say, but but doing it in a certain way, not all at once. You know, you, you don't want to you. It'd be hard to start out and say, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have five things I'm gonna prove. One, two, three, four, five. You know, they would. It, I've never tried that, but I don't think it would fly in New York. <laughs> um, uh, tell us briefly, uh, and and if it wouldn't fly in New York. You're talking about your your publisher and, and some of the um, 
Uh, you are now with Random House, and uh, uh, of course, one of the one of the biggest, uh, if not m more popular, uh, of all sorts of all genres—fiction, uh, nonfiction, poetry—but um, they're very important, and you sometimes have to please them, don't you? Yeah, it, which is funny. This is really the history that I always wanted to write. This is the way I wanted to yeah. write it, and I think if you go back to the the first history, no, the, the, the first historian where we get the word history from, Herodotus. It is a it is a great read. I mean, Herodotus, and he he I, I I don't know if he gets enough credit for his. I mean, you know, he he's, he he um he could probably use a little bit more skepticism, but he does use some. But it is a great read, and I think a lot of the early his historians, particularly in the ancient world, and even uh, up until I'm not sure exactly when it started, you could. That was it was important. I mean, th that was they were writing for a, a large yeah. audience, well, well lar large audience relative to the few number of people who read and bought books, I should say. Tell me <clears throat> about your experience uh, at Cambridge uh, and your Fulbright, uh, which led you to your first uh, book. Um, uh, we're not going to specifically talk about uh, finding Atlantis today. We're going to do that in uh, another part of our podcast. But just tell me about. Uh, what you remember about uh, the, the, the honor and the privilege of, uh, of going to, uh, to England and, and being schooled there, as well as your Fulbright. Yes, uh, England was, a, was fun. It was very, I had a lot of fun in England. Um, it, it was a different experience. Um, <clears throat> at, at dinners, you wear gowns, and everyone stands when the professors walk in. They say grace in Latin. Um, it's an old school, the, the, it's divided up into colleges. Ours was from the 16th century, and they have a lot of arcane rules. No one can walk on the grass except for the professors and the ducks, uh, which, you know, I guess it'd be hard to keep off. And, you know, a tourist will come in and stand on, um, stand on there to take pictures. And, of course, the porter will come running out screaming, screaming at them to get off the grass. But so it, it was a lot like the movies. I mean, a lot of it, um, and it, it was an exciting time to be in uh, Europe and England in the 90s, um, uh, just with... You know the, the whole cool Britannia thing was was going on, and, uh, and I'd been a disc jockey at WRFL right <laughs> before that, and had had a turned out like a kind of British Australian pop show, and so this had just started to break through. So I mean, I already knew a lot of these bands from the early '90s, and they were all starting to break in at the time, and it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was very. <clears throat> um, I ended up. I, I would have thought my uh, baseball and basketball days were long behind me. Probably should have been, but nobody plays basketball. So I got to be on the basketball team for the college. <laughs> Nobody plays baseball in England. So I was on Cambridge University baseball team. And, and having an American accent was 75% of it. Um, <laughs> and, it, it was, and a Kentucky accent to boot. Yes, yes. I mean, they, um, we were, it, it was fun. We had, I mean, on paper, we looked like we would be a, 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 a nice team. We had a, a pitcher from Baylor, uh, a pitcher from Baylor, uh, a catcher from the University of South Carolina, uh, Charleston, sorry, sorry, Charleston. Uh -huh. We had a, a Mexican bodybuilder at a shortstop. We had a, a, a minor league cricket player. We had the captain of the junior national team for baseball for the Czech uh, um, Republic. Japanese player. Uh, uh, we have uh, a third baseman was what I call the best left-handed third baseman, Latin translating left-handed third baseman in the history of baseball probably. But we never won a game. We were the bad, the bad news bears of Britain. I mean, we were, uh, we almost, we almost won a game. We almost beat the one game we won to was Oxford. We were beating them six to, uh, yeah. 
we and we we beat him like six to two or something like yeah. that going into the end. Our, our pitcher got tired and <laughs> and he, he was on the probably main, had to go study. <laughs> yeah, and he was on the he pitched for the main like state championship team yeah. and he was but we, we had no depth. Yeah, and so when he. When he got tired, we're like, oh, no, how can we, uh, maybe it'll rain, and of course we, you know. <laughs> well, you know, this is far and away from um, from your books, uh, from your serious work, <laughs> from your research, but have you ever written that down? I mean, that, that could be sort of like, uh, uh, you know, after writing so much fiction, uh, John Grisham decided to write uh, about, uh, in fact, he wrote about baseball, I think, as a kid, and that sort of thing. You, have you ever thought that you'd, you you could record, the, write this down? You know, I, um, I, I've thought, I, I don't know, I, uh, I I thought that with with the the base just because we just, uh, <laughs> I mean it is it was amusing. I mean we we had a great time. Uh, yeah. And WRFL, there's a million stories with the, and that was just and um, and Khaki and the people who founded the WRFL were Khaki Urch, uh, yes. uh, professor and and who who founded the radio station. Are, yeah. Are so been so nice they actually include me as a, one of the founders i was actually in high school when the when the uh, station went on the air but they they still include me as like honorary and, but I, I turned on i was in the media yeah. class we actually turned on the radio right when it uh went on the uh -huh. air on that march in 80 88 yeah. and, uh, but uh it, it would be fun i mean I, that would be a different challenge i'd have to yeah. um figure out the, the memoir thing because it, you know the, the, the novels of people that of writers that go yeah. and write about um, a particular segment friends. of their life or yeah and, friends or whatever yeah and come home and nobody they don't have any friends anymore <laughs> so, I don't know what so you uh <laughs> but you eventually made your way back to kentucky um and, and did you come right back to take a professorship yes i, I came back to teach um i taught in, in the history department and the honors program and that was uh um the first time i i, I I had never really taught that much before. I mean, in England, I, I did little supervision, which is like one-on-one -on -one with a student. Uh, but they don't have, like America has a lot better with the graduate programs for having people teach. So I never taught before. And I, and I like, class I've never, I mean, it could have been a disaster. It turns out it went really well. I mean, the um, I got through it, so that was a success. Um, and the student valuations were very high, which was very kind of them because I had never taught before I was, but uh, so that was kind of rough that first semester because just trying to prepare. I mean, the amount of preparation, and I over-prepare. And um, so, I, yeah, I, I did that and lo loved teaching. Had, um, and then just had, had an idea about writing a book. And I didn't even know you could do that. As, I didn't even know you, it was possible to do that. So... Um, Decided, decided to go that way. <laughs> well, we'll talk about uh, finding Atlantis, but I, and I'm not going to take your uh, your a very. Uh, I'm sure you're proud of your your body of work, uh, your um, your four uh, uh, books. Um, we're going to start with the latest and, and talk about that today. And, and if we have time on this podcast, if not, we'll 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 do a part two and and talk about the others. Um, but on the trial of uh, of Adolf Hitler. Um, there are many glowing remarks, um, and I just, uh, there's so many, uh, I just happened to choose the, the Kirkus Reviews because it sort of brought it to uh, our current thinking today about what's going on in, in politics, but they, they wrote an acute work of scholarship and vivid narrative, a meticulously researched, deeply instructive work with great rele rele 
relevance for our current area of right-wing resurgence. And it, uh, it all begins uh, when uh, Adolf Hitler storms into a Munich beer hall, fires his pistol, and proclaims a revolution. He was on the run. His career seemed to be over, and this was 1923. And most uh, even average students of, of, uh, of World War II history and, and what happened probably don't know anything about what happened in 1923 to this young man whose name was Adolf Hitler. Yeah, it was, it was um, incredible. I, uh, um, because what really surprised me, um, when Hitler, he declares the National Revolution and he, he, he thinks his career is over when it, when it fails. I mean, he's, instead of marching into Berlin, you know, he's arrested and, uh, and put on trial. And he's very depressed. He thinks his career's over. And the New York Times says his career's over. And very smart observers like New York Times, as well as, you know, Frankfurter Zeitung um, says they're writing the obituary of the, of the Nazi party. They weren't called Nazi yet. That's coming. National Socialist Nazi nickname is, is coming, though, during this time. I've, I've seen it in letters um, like from prison at this time. It's, it's starting to creep into, um, into writing, not just a, a, a slang uh, nickname. And I, I started about, I, I thought I would write about the putsch. It was, um, cause I always enjoyed the lecture on when Hitler, you know, in, in the beer hall. But when I got into it, we realized there had never been a book on the trial. And I was shocked. My agent was shocked and agents in London were shocked. And so, well, this is the way to go. I mean, so, so I, I, cause I thought I would do the, the putsch and, and Munich because Munich at the time was very interesting. I mean, it looked like it was the end of, of capitalism at the time in 1923, the currency was going crazy. I mean, from, you know, four marks to a dollar, um, before world war one, eight marks to a dollar after world war, after the war ended and it keeps going down, it keeps going down. It's at 23,000 marks. It's at 500,000 marks, a million marks, a hundred million marks. It goes down to billions, and it bottoms out at 6.7 trillion marks to a dollar. So you save your whole life, and, you know, coffee costs, you know, can't buy a cup of coffee. Um, you know, cabbage is like 12 billion marks in the market. And, you know, if you're a foreigner, have American dollars, British pounds, Swiss francs, you can pick up bargains, uh, obscene bargains. And so it was very interesting, I mean, it, a lot of, it looked like, I mean, Germany was in a terrible state. And so I thought I'd write about that and, and how Munich used to be this, at the time, a city of artists and dreamers and bohemians and, and Kandinsky and Klee and Thomas Mann and, and Bertolt Brecht. I mean, they're all here in Munich. And how did Munich go from being this artistic center of Germany way before, I mean, Berlin, this is much more in Berlin at this time. Berlin will pass it. But um, how did Munich go from the city of dreamers to a city of, uh, the far right. How to go from Kudensky and Klee to Hitler and Himmler. So mm -hmm. I, I thought I'd go that way, but then when I realized there'd never been a book on the trial, I mean, I, I got really interested. I how like, did you discover, um, not only that there had never been a book, but, but how did you discover the trial itself? I mean, what you, you went after uh, thinking that you were going to write about um, Munich during that period of time, and did you just happen to Stumbled onto the trial, or just tell me well, that that scenario. I, I used to I used to actually teach the trial at UK. So if you um, and uh, it, I, I'd mentioned it because it was I, I thought it was interesting and and, and um, 
and you go to the classic biographies of Adolf Hitler, you know, 2,000 page book, Ian Kirchhoff, for example. Um, I don't want to single him up, but any of the others, you know, 2,000 pages, and, you know, you, maybe five or six pages on the trial. Um, and in his defense, there's just so much to cover. I mean, it, it's amazing. You can write a biography in 2,000 pages on Hitler because I mean, you have the Holocaust, World War II, the dictatorship, um, his early life. There's so much to cover that things like the trial, and we write about Hitler for all our lifetimes because there's just so much coming out all the time because you just can't, you can't do everything unless you, I mean, there's not really a market for a 800,000 page book um, right now. And, uh, but so it's, so the trial is one of those, I mean, it's a very important part of his life because he thought his career was over. It probably should have been over uh, because at the trial, as I got into it and really started to appreciate this was that, I mean, he was guilty. There's no doubt. He admitted he was guilty. He bragged about being guilty. The law was on the side of the prosecution. Um, it was high treason. And according to the law, he should uh, be locked up for a long time and then deported because he's not a citizen. He's Austrian. And the judge just disregards it. He calls Hitler like a German-Austrian, uh, Austrian-German. The term doesn't exist mm. in, the, in the legal books. There is no category for that. But he makes it, and it, the, the, the trial is a sensation. I mean, it's a big social event. Um, everybody in Munich is going, and it's, it's a catastrophe. How popular was he at, at that time? Was that the reason that everybody attended the trial? That, that, that's another interesting point, because Hitler at this time, at the time of the trial, I mean, he was starting to make his name. But he was still talking to a beer hall. Um, at the trial, he's no longer talking to a single beer hall in Munich. But because it's very well attended, all the newspapers are German. The big newspapers are there in France. I've I, I read, you know, the French were, were great on this because they, they were very suspicious of what Germany was up to. And so they, they covered this very closely. So they, they were there. Uh, New York Times had you know six. The, articles. the New York Times did. did oh yes, cut? they were. And, and what about uh, uh, in in Britain? Did, yes. did, did the English press? Yeah. Yes, they loved it. I mean, um, so we got to use all, every newspaper. I get a, a hold of from London, uh, Sweden, and France, and Switzerland, Argentina, Australia. Um, everybody I could get a, I could get a hold of Norway, um, and so he, he the biggest audience he's ever had in his life, and. He could not have purchased this publicity. The judge lets him talk without stop for, at one point, for at least three hours. And does not stop him. Um, the media is very interesting to watch because you, have, you do have a lot of critiques of him, particularly from the left. The socialists and the communists are, uh, you know, the, there's a, a communist paper said, don't, don't listen to him. He's Hitler. They call him, the, he's like a racist rat catcher. And don't 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 be fooled by his dumbed down socialism, mm. and very interesting comments. Um, I mean, I, I learned so much about Hitler. I mean, I've, I've been um, by by, re, by reading this and researching this that um, revelations almost every day uh, it seemed for me. Mm. And so he's making his name. He's also changing the fact that at the beer hall he was he became kind of a joke in Berlin, like a buffoon. If if people if people um, 
would mention to me, oh yeah, he was that that, that guy that tried to take over a government in a beer hall. Mm. You know, it's funny. You know, if you want to take over a government, why not go to the military barracks? Why not go to the police station? Why not go to the government offices? Why not go to Berlin? But he's in he's in Munich in a beer hall. Ha! You know, what a joke, what a clown. And um, the Charlie Chaplin mustache. You know, it was just that was the. Uh, uh, a snot break was the mm. German word for mm-hmm. the for this mustache that he mm-hmm. had. And, a snot uh, break. Snot break. So I have that in the. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to include. Yeah. I have to include that. But he. Um, so he's able to redefine himself as a joke. I mean, he was he was near suicidal. I mean, he goes on a hunger strike right after he's arrested, um, and he claims to be to uh, go near suicide several times during the period after his arrest. And um, at the trial. He's able to redefine himself, um, and the the beer hall putsch for a lot of reasons we go into is very interesting because the judge has uh, the poor judge. I mean, I, I've re- let's okay, say, yeah. if you if you don't mind, David, let me just say that that uh, because uh, to to me, I will just say that that putsch is not uh, in our everyday vernacular. Um, it's spelled for our uh, Think Podcast, uh, Think Humanities Podcast listeners, a P U T S C H. Um, means revolt, or um, uh, and what? What beyond that? I mean, that that's pretty much what 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 it is. And and so the the putsch uh, that occurred was in in the beer hall, or that was that. Well, actually, that that sort of started uh, his uh, his his revolution, if you will. Uh, but but you continue from there. Yes, that's absolutely right. He um, he because he's trying to take over the government. He's trying to. Um, He's calling for a national revolution. He, you know, he says the national revolution has begun. The army is marching with us. The the, the police are marching with us. It's not true. He's he's bluffing, but he th- he thinks it's going to be true in a minute. And he because he, he storms into a speech. And we I found an invitation to that speech. They storms into never been published. So I, we had to put that in. Mm. And it was a uh, the the leader of Bavaria was was giving a talk, and because again Germany was in chaos, and they they appointed this individual with a uh, gave. Him, extreme executive powers to try to, you know, take control over things. And uh, so Hitler barges in and with his gun and his stormtroopers, um, actually the predecessor for the, the SS, the, the guys that are with them is like the Hitler assault squad, they're called. They come in and they, they, they take these people into a back room and get them to try to convince them to join the revolution. And so that's how it, that it, they, they agree to it. Um, and... There's a, there's a march in the street and there's a shootout and the guy about a foot that Hitler's marching arms and arms with him. They're linked, they link their arms and that guy gets shot. Hmm. And so I got an unpublished memoir from his valet that was very, uh, the sources were phenomenal. That was my big concern. It's like, because there's never been a book. Maybe there's a good reason. Maybe the story's boring. Maybe there are no sources. The stories were phenomenal. I mean, the, the, and the sources were fabulous. Unpublished. Was he killed? Was the, w- w- yes. And that that bullet could have very well found its way a foot or to two Hitler. over. I mean, it hit him. Yeah, a foot or two over, and it would hit him. And Hitler goes down. And um, we had an unpublished memoir of Hitler's bodyguard, and he jumps on top of Hitler to protect him because Hitler either falls down or he takes cover um, or he gets yanked down. Uh, he goes down during the shootout, and um, and his bodyguard. We got an unpublished memoir uh, that he wrote when he covers him. He, he, he was shot up. I mean, he, he, he mm-hmm. took so many bullets. And so he may have saved his life there as well. But the sources were phenomenal. I mean, we had the, the, the transcript was 3,000 pages. 
hmm. in German. I got I got I got a copy of that. I got the whole thing. Um, and you read German? Yes. And um, uh, so so you were reading the original transcript? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Phenomenal. And, and uh, although um, the letters, we have new Hitler files um, that never been never been used. Uh, they were from Landsberg Prison. The entire, well, about 500 documents disappeared. Um, they're, they're presumed lost, stolen, many years ago, and they were found in a flea market um, in Nuremberg. Somehow, these files it looks like ended up in. Um, the home of a former director of the prison and his apartment was robbed and i'm not sure how somehow they ended up in this flea market and they were sold germany changed the law so that they would have to stay in germany otherwise which was wonderful for us because otherwise these files would have been sold to a rich investor yeah probably overseas and a german archive was able to get them and it had not been used and so uh, the, the trial continued. Um, Hitler uh, w was was let let go, uh, although he had spent some time uh, during the trial in in a cell, uh, contemplated suicide. Um, what what happened after that? What what was the conclusion other than uh, him being exonerated? Yeah, he. It's the verdict comes. Um, say ironically, April first, and newspapers are. Picking up on this April Fool's Day joke, I mean, um, you know, is isn't treason against the German Republic worth more than a few months in prison? Because Hitler, April first is the verdict. By December of that year, he is out, and so we have we have uh, so we're able to recreate this time in prison in detail, never been able to do before because of these wonderful files and uh, able to find other descriptions, everything we could find on his life and people, anybody that visited him. I uh, found a lot of accounts, like in newspapers, and reading everything I get a hold of, even a lot of uh, far-right, uh, like there's this one published anonymously pro-Hitler book from the 30s. Um, and, you know, it's one thing it had in it uh, was he had interviews with, like, Hitler's, some people that knew Hitler. Oh, we got, we got an unpublished uh, memoir from one of Hitler's jailers. <laughs> And we were able to use uh, as well. Everybody so, was cashing in. Well, well, these are these are like um, like like still in the archives haven't really been haven't haven't been published before. So they were like like just leaving notes and and they were there. And I was like, wow. So that was another surprise. I didn't know this was here. I, I was like, oh wow, look at this. There's a jailer. And were uh, you in? Uh, where where did you find that? It was in Munich. Oh. And so we have. Um, uh, I, I also have letters from Hermann Göring's wife. Uh, who's Swedish? Uh, I read Swedish fine too, and she um, had another insight because Garen gets shot also during the putsch, and this is he escapes, and this is actually where his drug addiction comes from because uh -huh. because of the terrible pain he gets shot in the groin, and uh -huh. he's like taking this the drugs, and he you know he 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 will battle that for a long time, and it, um, and so we had her letters um, that she wrote home to her family about you know how how he's. You know, uh, how she comes to uh, Hitler, visit him in prison, and uh, hoping to get money, and he he gives her a signed autograph. <laughs> An <laughs> autograph. Her on her way. <laughs> so I mean, uh, but it, it, yeah, the sources were phenomenal. I mean, uh, we have a, the deputy prosecutor had an unpublished memoir I found in um, in, in Munich, and he was not. He was he was he was actually trying his best. So he was one of my favorite. Uh, 
characters. There weren't many uh, good guys in, in the, the Hitler book, but he, he was one of them because he was actually trying to prosecute Hitler. And his boss, the main prosecutor, was making his life uh, a little difficult. Mm. And I mean, when the, pro- when the main prosecutor gives the speech, and a lot of the British papers are like, this is the worst prosecution speech I've ever heard because he spends more time praising Hitler than he does trying to condemn him. And uh, we can go into the book. We have, yeah. They had a lot of reasons for doing this. I think we're able to rewrite that too because the way the judge and the way the, the, yeah. the trial is usually presented is... There was amazing, uh, to me, uh, 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 there was an amazing record through memoir uh, that um, unpublished or, or, I mean, people were writing a lot back uh, at, at that time. Uh which is kind of interesting, and then for you to find these pieces um, must have been a, a treasure trove. Uh, just, I mean, it was like it was really, literally, like going up into the attic and opening a, a trunk and finding. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it, it really. I get the same feeling um, when I'm in the archive and I find something like this that I did as a kid on Christmas Day. You know, when the present comes yeah. in, it's like. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't wait to get in and, and see them. I've had this, I've been very fortunate, um, like with the Peggio book and this book and the book I'm writing now, getting like files yeah. like this, and it is very exciting. Oh, you're going to be able to talk about the book you're writing now, and we'll, we'll get to that. David um, uh, King is our uh, guest on Think Humanities podcast, and uh, he's uh, fascinating in his uh, uh technique of discovery and of research, and we want to talk uh, with him more about that, and we also want to talk about uh, his other books uh, that he's writing, and uh, we're going to do that in a part two segment of our podcast. Uh, That'll be coming up uh, next week. Uh, We'll uh, air these uh, back-to-back, but I also want to go out with uh, the trial of Adolf Hitler. Uh, It was uh, long-listed for the 2018 uh, JQ Wingate Prize. I'm going to ask uh, David what that is. Uh, I know that's a very prestigious and, and an honor. He's also a fellow of the uh, American Scandinavian Foundation and the International Napoleonic Society. Um, so, and I must also add that I think maybe uh, the the aforementioned uh, uh, Kathy, uh, Kathy Urch uh, said that he also is a member of the Woodford County Hall of Fame, <laughs> High School Hall of Fame. So, so the the, the Wingate Prize. Tell tell us what that is. Yeah, that I was really um, uh, honored by this. It, it's it's an award given out for anyone any book that's published in Britain, the United States, the British Commonwealth, Israel, that best in their view promotes issues interest to the jewish people ah uh-huh. because jq the jew uh, it's so it's, a, it's it, was a, it was a big honor I, I felt um when i found out we were long listed because uh there are a lot of great books published every year and you know writing writing about something as dark as you know with hitler and mm. so I've, i was very pleased when they've accepted it and i mean the bit it was it was wonderful just just to be uh, long listed and for that and I was uh, been able to speak to some of the Jewish communities about in West Palm Beach just last month talking to JCC there and it's, just, it's been really um, and the uh, Times of Israel just had a piece mm-hmm. this week um, um, nice feature on, on the book so it's been nice I, I have no no I, you know. I, I don't think it's going to win. There's too, there's too many other books out there, but it's very nice to be nominated sure for that. It is. And it, and um, 
that never would have expected yeah. that. What um, an honor. Well, David, uh, thanks for part one, and we will uh, continue our discussion on uh, part two of Think Humanities. Oh, thank you. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities and is a production of the University of Kentucky College of Arts and Sciences. This podcast was created at the Media Depot. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Thank you.